tonight we will be in the book of Jude. We will be looking at verses 17 through 23. Probably have, I think, by my estimation, just uh, one more sermon in this um, in this book. Uh, but we are going to be looking at verses 17 through 23. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version. I'll bring the text up here on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up uh, in, in, uh, in uh, the most holy faith. Oh, messed up that slide there. I think I did that with this text last time. But it, Verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in, in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And he bless it to his So I like to joke that uh, uh, about 10 years ago, uh, Leslie and I uh, were accident accidentally vegan for two months. Uh, and, and it's kind of true, actually. We, uh, we came across this documentary that was really well put together. It was well uh, polished. I never said the word vegan, right? So, uh, it, and so the, the arguments sounded convincing. The data seemed very clear, at least so it seemed. Now, after a little while, a, 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 a loving relative, my father-in-law, sent, sent me a few scientific articles and gently said, would you please uh, read these and consider these as you're thinking about uh, this? And, uh, and I did, and, uh, and I started doing my own research, and I realized he was right, and I was wrong, and I felt a little silly, some egg on my face, and, uh, but I was very glad to eat meat again, as we all should be, and, and that's... And, but, but that experience, it reminded me of a, a bit about how it can be with interacting with false teaching. Because false teachers can sound very convincing. They can really get your, they can give, really get your head spinning. They're, they're spouting off scriptures, and they're throwing this off and that. They're, they're throwing all these things around. And, and, and so what are we supposed to do when that comes? When, when that comes, when it comes like, well, they're quoting the Bible. What are we supposed to do? And it's like, it, it, how can we prepare ourselves? And certainly, uh, Jude has helped us, uh, the, been very clear, has given us some really good guidelines, and so we need to consider all that Jude has said in this letter so far, um, and, to, and to look out for the signs of false teaching that he's talked about. Uh, but here, Jude is concerned to, to help us here by giving us a focus on two things. Two things in order to prepare us uh, to live in a world that has false teaching and false teachers in it. And that is, first, to be prepared by remembering... And secondly, to embrace the call to persevere. To be prepared through remembering, 
and to embrace the call to persevere. We'll look at each, uh, each of those the, uh, this evening. And so first, in verses 17 and 19, uh, we see this command to be prepared by remembering. And he tells us uh, first to remember, in verse 17, remember the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude exhorts his beloved Christians that he's writing to to call to mind the predictions that were made by the apostles. And we'll consider those predictions and that teaching in just a moment. But we should take note of the fact that Jude refers to this group of individuals as the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a group. It's a definite group. And this is important because it pushes back against the idea that is often put forward, has been put forward since uh, the, the German theologians of the 1800s, uh, that, uh, that, that, you know, um, uh, the, the concept of Scripture, prophecy, and the New Testament really came about much uh, later on, uh, much, for much hundreds of years even afterwards, that there, in fact, there were these schools of, you know, there's like the, 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 the those tr- they'll get real fancy with their terminology, the, the Johannine school. It's a fancy way to say John. So the Johannine schools. So you want to be fancy, you say Johannine. And so the, Yoh- the Yohannine school. And then you have the, 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 the Pauline school. Uh, you know, and, so, and, and that these are not actual people, but these groups that are devoted to these, to these individuals that are producing these scriptures that we, that we uh, these silly fundamentalists, have, have taken to be written by these people with these names. Um, and, and so... Uh, it, but actually what we see in, you know, and first of all, there's never been any historical evidence. There's there been any schools, by the way, or any groups that were just like, we're a John group or we're a Paul group. This, none of that. It's all speculation. Uh, uh, but uh, we see from the earliest days and, the, the, and, and with texts like this, that the apostles were those who had a particular calling and office that was attended by supernatural giftings until the close of the New Testament period, or what we call the apostolic era. I mentioned this actually in the sermon this morning, that while we believe that God is free to work whatever miracles he desires to perform, uh, God can work within uh, you know, uh, or even against the order that he has instituted, because he's God, we're not, he's God, he can do miracles. But we do believe that the revelatory gifts... That, 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 that those things, those gifts that produce Scripture, the new words of God to be written down for God's people for all time, those have ceased with the closing of the New Testament. And Jude himself strengthens this, not only by highlighting the authority of the apostles, but also that their teaching was a standard of authority that was above and beyond the teaching of others. There's something about the teaching of the apostles that stands apart from the teaching of, let's say, the other elders in the church. Even though Peter says, I'm an apostle, but I'm also an elder, he had this special calling as an apostle. We don't believe that there's any apostles with a capital A anymore. In uh, and, and that, uh, that, that uh, you know, it's, um, these men were raised up and, and they were sent out by Christ personally to establish his church. And so there's not a group of apostles throughout the history of the church that has been kind of like rotating through members. Um, there's actually, the, has anybody heard of the Christian band Newsboys? Well, it's so uh, how, how many of you are aware that very few of the Newsboys are the original Newsboys? 
<laughs> They've been rotating out, <laughs> all right? And so um, it, it, there was even a skit online that one joke that referred to them as the revolving doors, all right? <laughs> because they would just go like, oh, you want to be a newsboy? You can be a newsboy for a year, all right? So um, that's nothing against the newsboys, but, um, but it's, it's a band that shall live forever, right? Because they will always be replaced. The newsboys have always existed for hundreds of years, you know, because they have always been replaced. That is not what the apostles are. The Church of the Latter-day Saints claims to have 12 apostles today, all right? Uh, but, but they don't. <laughs> they have 12 people claiming to be apostles. Uh, you have, uh, you, have uh, you know, the, the Word of Faith movement that claims to uh, guys show up and they, I'm an apostle, with a capital A, I'm sent by Christ. I had a vision, and so therefore you should give me money so I can buy diamond cufflinks and a, and a, and a, and a, you know, in a, a fancy jet. But the apostles were a definite group of men that are no longer living upon the earth. They live in heaven with our Savior. We have their teaching for us written in the scriptures. And we would do well today to remember the apostles, how they lived, and what they said. For they were the ones by whom God laid down the New Testament scriptures, who particularly interpreted the work and ministry of Christ for the church. And we, so we ought to remember them as we take up their word and not only read it, but order our lives by it. And so we need to remember, in keeping with this, what the apostles said as he, in verse 18. And what Jude does here is he gives a brief summary of a, simply an aspect of the apostles' teaching. You can read several references in First um, uh, and Second Thess- Thessalonians uh, where Paul says, "As I told you repeatedly, as I as as I um, as I have said told you before." Right, So there's these things that the Apostle Paul apparently were, was teaching, he was repeating, and certainly he said the same things over and over again as he went around. And here was one of the things apparently that the apostles taught about and predicted for the church before they went off the scene. And, and they predicted that in the last time, scoffers would come along into the life of the church. Now, the last time that, that, that word, um, or that phrase rather, um, it refers to the time between Christ's first coming and his return. It's like the last hours, the last hour, the last days. It is not so much, in, when we say the last time, it doesn't mean, it doesn't, we don't, we're not talking about specific calendars. We're talking about is periods of redemptive history. And that this is the last time. This is the last hour. We are in the last days ever since the days of Christ. And that in terms of the immediacy, the nearness of Christ's return, Christ could return right now. Christ could return tomorrow. And so we have been living, we are in the, in the last days in the sense of the nearness of Christ's return. And in this period, we are told from the time of Christ's first coming to his return, uh, is, we are told that there will be scoffers. Now, that is a term that has some biblical pedigree. In fact, you can turn to Psalm 1 and find the, the term scoffers. You can, it comes up again and again in, in Psalms. It comes up in Proverbs. Uh, you don't want to be a scoffer in the Bible. But what is a scoffer? Well, a scoffer is effectively one who despises or ignores true religion and morality. Their guide is not the Scriptures, it's not the Word of God. Their guide is their own ungodly passions and desires. That's their guide. They let their heart be their guide. In Psalm 1, we are warned um, not to stand in the way of scoffers, because that is the way of the fool 
and destruction. And so Jude says, look, take that, what they predicted, and in verse 19, he says, now apply it to these false teachers. Scoffers are not a new concept in the Bible, but there's something else happening. It's a particular brand or version of scoffers. There is a special warning here that in this time in which we live as a church, until the time, from the time of the apostles all the way till the time that Christ comes back, there will be scoffers in the midst of the church. And as one author noted, there will be those always in the church, even in the midst of the church, who will be trying to, attempting to, and unfortunately at times succeeding to lead others astray by disregarding biblical sexuality, devoting themselves to money and possessions, despising authority, especially God's, and denying future, God's future judgment against sin, but all with a veneer of fake godliness. One key sign that Jude says here is that they cause divisions. Now we have to be careful here because not all disagreement or conflict in the church is division making. And so we don't want to, you know, if there's a disagreement in the church, you don't want to be like, false teacher. Why? Because you're disagreeing with me. You know, you don't want to do that. Sometimes separation from a church is necessary. Depends on the context. Our own denomination broke away and establish a new denomination from the old mainline church because of biblical and theological uh, uh, problems. And it was necessary to separate. Uh, And we should note here that Jude is not saying that these false teachers are outright schismatics. They're not simply breaking up churches, but they're actually creating factions within the church that are causing problems. Now, they may head to schisms, but also there's problems of faction-making and divisions within the church body that they are causing. They are, in the end, Jude says, worldly people. They are not holy people. Further, he says that they are devoid of the Holy Spirit, even though they may claim to have an extra helping of the Holy Spirit. And now, again, these are not people that are struggling to believe that are wrestling with doubts or just trying to think through their doctrine and make sense of it. So they're just kind of thinking out loud. That's not what this is. As one author wrote, when the Bible is declared to be outmoded, the resurrection denied, the saving death of Jesus watered down, or the biblical guidelines on sex and marriage made amenable to people's greed and lust, and all in the name of, all in the name of where the Spirit is leading us, we can be sure that the Spirit is not leading us there at all. And we know that because the Spirit also inspired the Scriptures. And the Spirit is not going to lead God's people in a way that is contradictory to His Word. As we noted last week, it can be very difficult to discern whether someone is in simply an error uh, that, that, or whether they are committing themselves to false teaching, or if they are in fact themselves a false teacher. But Jude gives us key red flags. Are they leading others astray into their error? Are they indulging in sexual immorality? Are they using their error for monetary gain? Do they despise authority and correction from the church? If so, They are in dangerous, dangerous territory. I know of teaching elders in our own denomination who when they were confronted with their adulterous behavior, 
did not repent. They simply just left and said, well, I'm out of here. I'm going to go. And some of them quit the ministry altogether. Some of them just went, well, I'm just going to go start my own church, or I'm going to go this. I don't want to give up my ministry, and, and, and uh, I'm just not going to submit to, uh, to, uh, to the confrontation that I'm having of my own sin. Yeah, I'm destroying my family. I'm blowing up my marriage. I'm blowing up my family. I'm blowing up my career. Uh, but rather than repent and face the consequences of my actions, I'm just going to go off and do my own thing, and I'm going to talk about the God of grace who forgives me and cleanses me and, and restores me, and isn't that nice, and we're going we're gonna to have a different church. So not only did these men and others refuse to repent, but they committed themselves to their sin, and in leaving and refusing to submit to the church to which they had made vows before God to serve and obey and to respond when their brothers corrected them, they despised the authority of the church, and in so doing, despised the authority of God. And they will have to make an account before God. It's not something that I say lightly, or that I take lightly. I do um, want to note here, though, that the authority of the church is, as our Book of Church Order says, ministerial and declarative. And what I mean is that the church can rightly declare such men, as I've just described, as excommunicated from the church. And they can even label them as false teachers if if it's warranted. But it doesn't mean they all must stay that way. It doesn't mean that they're permanently out once the church excommunicates them. There is the path of repentance and faith. There's room for repentance. I can, I, I'm not sure if I can think of a situation where, 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 where repentance does not turn somebody back. It doesn't mean all is forgiven, you can be a pastor again. But it does mean you can be restored to the church. It does mean you can restore it to the body. We don't close the door to anyone. But we do guard the church. We guard the church's doctrine. We guard the reputation of Christ and his bride, but we also seek to reclaim the sinner in church discipline. And so we must remember the authoritative teaching of the apostles, uh, the, uh, the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, who warned us that there would be scoffers in the church until he returns. So we don't need to be surprised. We need to be vigilant. We need to be firm in, in our doctrinal conviction, but also compassionate. To the, to the repentant. And secondly, we need to embrace the calling to persevere that is given here by Jude in verses 20 through 23. And I want to take, make a, take a quick kind of note here of uh, something that popped up in verse 17 and it pops up again in verse 20, is that the church Jude regards as God's beloved. Jude has this habit in his letter of referring to his audience, to the church, as beloved. And I wonder if we shouldn't do the same more often. How might that soften particularly tense interactions that we have with one another in the church if we began that sentence with, beloved? How might that impact you if you were receiving a reproof or correction if it began with, beloved? A lot of times it feels like it begins with, hey, dummy right? It's like, hey, sinner, but rather beloved. Do you not know? 
Beloved, shouldn't you? Why don't you? And we, and we are reminded that the church and her members are beloved by God. God loves His church. He loves you, dear Christian. You are beloved by God. He delights in you. He has set His affection upon you, set you apart as part of His eternal possession that He may set His joy upon you in love forever. The church is also beloved in our fellowship as we regard one another. We genuinely love one another as brothers and sisters in the faith. We care for each other. We rejoice with each other. We sorrow with one another. We seek to help and and correct and strengthen one another. And while, yes, it would be odd to start every sentence to another member of the church with the word beloved, I'm not advocating that, you might want to drop it in every once in a while and just see what happens. At the very least... This concept should pervade, at least in the background, our interactions with each other. Because if we love each other, and we, if we honor the reality that God loves the person that is standing in front of me, that he, is, he or she are the beloved of God standing before me, then what I'm going to say or do here must be for their benefit, for their good, and their joy, and not just to satisfy some kind of you know, itch I got to get something off my chest, you know? So to God's beloved, Jude prescribes in verses 20 to 21 what we can call the path of perseverance. So moving away from warning for the church, Jude describes what Christians can do to protect themselves positively from false teaching. And he deploys four verbs for Christians to do, four active verbs, building, praying, keeping, and waiting. First, working from the image of God's people as the temple of the living God, he exhorts Christians to to edify one another, to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. That is, the faith, which is both defined and defended according to the Scriptures, with the gospel of Jesus Christ at the very center. We ought to grow in our understanding of doctrine that we might not only protect ourselves from false teaching, but that we might deepen our wonder in the Lord. Second, prayer, he says, is to be a regular and priority activity for the Christian. Calvin famously said that prayer is the lifeblood of the Christian. And we want to be clear here, though, he says praying in the Holy Spirit. There aren't like different kinds of prayer, like there's the prayer that's in the Holy Spirit, and then there's the prayer that's not in the Holy Spirit. Like if you pray standing, that's not in the Holy Spirit. But if you pray on your knees, now that's in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it hurts, and especially the older you get. So, in fact, I know, I know of a, a session at a church where they had a habit of praying on their knees. And one of the uh, um, older session members, he's, he, he would come in with a suit on and knee pads strapped around his suit pants. <laughs> you know, but he was like, let's do this. All right, but, um, uh, but, uh, but this is acknowledging the truth that Christian prayer only works because of the help and grace of the Holy Spirit. 
Christian prayer is always done in the Holy Spirit. And there's, no, there's nothing you can like do to simply like switch on the Holy Spirit for your prayer. You're not praying in the Holy Spirit if you get yourself all worked up emotional. If you go run around the building and you're all hot and sweaty and you're feeling crazy and you're like, now I'm praying in the Spirit. That's not how it works. If we turn the thermostat up till we're all sweating and delirious, that's not praying in the Spirit. All Christian prayer is in the Spirit because the Spirit lives inside of us and, and intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. It carries our prayers along unto God the Father and in the Son. It makes our prayers effectual. Third, Jude tells us to keep that, that Greek word there. It's actually, it's a, a, there's an overlap there between Greek and Hebrew because both Hebrew and Greek words that mean to keep also mean to guard. Keep, guard yourselves in the love of God. Now, how does one do that? Well, Jesus said in the Gospel of John that we abide in his love by keeping his commandments because our actions reveal what, are, what is in our hearts. And he says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Now, it doesn't mean that if we disobey Christ or disobey a command of Christ that we're suddenly kicked out of the family or kicked out of his love, but we're not acting in love when we disobey the Lord. And so no one can do, uh, you know, obey the Lord perfectly. So we must attach to our endeavors to obey Christ daily repentance and faith. Daily we are turning to the Savior for mercy and forgiveness as we seek to obey Him. And that is how we keep ourselves. We guard ourselves together, help one another to stay and to live in the love of God. Fourth, and finally... Jude exhorts us to hope in the mercy of Jesus Christ, which one day will come in fullness as we experience eternal life in the kingdom of God. So Jude's prescribed program of perseverance for the Christian to guard us against false teachers and false teaching is mutual relational edification in the faith Regular, dependent prayer, loving obedience to Christ's commands, and hoping in the promises of God, all done in the context of the local body, the church, in relationship with one another. But it's not just our relationship towards ourselves that he gives us the path to perseverance. He also gives us our mission to others in verses 22 to 23. Most scholars note that the Greek in these verses can be very difficult and that there is a good deal of manuscript variation uh, but uh, in, in from the earliest manuscripts. There's some, there's some variation in, in, in manuscripts here. So, um, but despite even some of the variances there, Jude indicates here how it is that faithful and stable Christians should address those who doubt, and address those who have been affected by false teaching, and even address those who are false teachers themselves. First, he says, to have mercy on those who doubt. Now, other manuscripts uh, say to confute those who doubt. That means to uh, show how they're wrong, those who doubt. What you do, if someone's doubting, you want to show how they're in error. And, how, and, and to show them the truth. And so, uh, and so even uh, either one of those readings uh, is, is perfectly fine and they work together. Um, but uh, even, if the, uh, even if this is the case, 
You know, we, we correct, we confute with gentleness and love. But those who are in error, we should deal gently with and direct them back to the truth. If someone comes and they're in error and they don't understand the Trinity, you don't just like smack them upside the head and be like, dummy, get it, you know, get it straight. All right, stop asking questions. You're like, okay, no, I see where you're doing that. Yeah, it's a tough doctrine or difficult. Let's, well, let's talk about it. Here's, here's a book. Here's, here's a sermon. Uh, why don't you go talk to Pastor Eric? Like, just like there's, we come together and we help one another uh, work through these things. Um, second, uh, he says that we are to save others by snatching them from the fire. And, and it's at this point that Jude is, uh, seems to be making a pretty clear allusion to Zechariah chapter 3 and the vision that he has where the, where the angel of the Lord uh, rebukes uh, Satan, rebukes the accuser, and says about the people of God, he's like, are, isn't this a, a, a stick snatched from the fire? So, and, uh, and so we have this, uh, this picture that he seems to be referring to here. And it would seem that Jude has in mind here those uh, in the church who have been impacted by false teaching such that they are beginning to follow it onto the path of destruction, away from the gospel. And, and they need intervention from their brothers. They need intervention where the brothers come and say, hey, this is a false gospel that you're, that you're buying into. This is something that is not good for you spiritually. It's going to take you down a bad path. And whether or not they listen, that, well, that's a different thing. But he exhorts us with the responsibility to do so. And this is especially true of elders. Um, Third, he says to show mercy with fear. Now this could apply to a separate group like uh, repentant false teachers. A few of the commentaries said that. I didn't quite see that demonstrated in the text. Uh, But it is certainly true that a call to be merciful to the repentant is always there. Uh, And though it has fallen out of fashion, the statement to hate the sin but love the sinner is very much a summation of what Jude is saying here. We fear God as holy. We recognize and confess that we are a holy people. And so we hate everything that is stained with sin. In this case, uh, this is probably uh, referring to the evil deeds that have been done in connection with false teaching. But let us see that Christian brothers and sisters are called to be agents of redemption, agents of restoration, not destruction of fellow, uh, fellow uh, brothers and sisters in the church. We're called to reclaim our lost brothers and sisters, to exhort them to repent and to receive and restore them with gentleness, as Paul says in Galatians. And so in an age of misinformation where false teaching is just a click away, What is the church to do? Well, first, we remember what the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ said. That there will be scoffers always in the midst of the church who cause divisions. And so let us not be surprised, but let us persevere. Let us build one another up in the faith, praying always in the Spirit keeping ourselves in the love of God as we wait together for the fullness of the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to come in which he will bring to us the fullness of eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Christ we have a sure hope and salvation. We pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in your church. Lord, we pray that you would give us discerning minds that we would uh, comprehend your word, that we would see false teaching for what it is, 
that we would persevere in faith, Lord, that, uh, that, uh, that we would strengthen one another in love. And Lord, we pray, Father, that you would continue to strengthen and purify your church and that you would be glorified in our midst. Lord, may you strengthen, advance your cause in our, in our, in our city, in our state, our country, and in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.